Hey, I'm David Crabtree, lead pastor at Calvary Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope you'll find something every week that inspires you to dig deeply into God's Word and reach for the unmet potentials that lie within you. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and never miss an update. Hope you enjoy the message. At this point, usually in the service, I tell you to shake hands. Don't. I tell you to hug somebody. Don't. But I do want you, however you can do it, just to virtually hug people all around you, whatever it takes, but just greet one another. It's great to be in the Lord's house again. And I want to also welcome our online audience. We are in real time right now. I want to hear from you. For you online folks, we have people who are online right now with you. They can answer your questions. They can even uh, participate in praying with you right now. So as we're connecting here in the room, we're connecting also not only here in the U.S., but around the world. We've got people who are joining us right now. And so we want you to take advantage of that. And if you are online and it's your first Sunday at Calvary, click on the little button you see online that says new here and fill out that digital connect card. We'd love to get to know you better and we'll have a gift in the mail to you this week. We really are grateful for you visiting with us. If you're a first time guest with us here uh, in the building this morning, You are so welcome. Also, fill out the guest card that you'll find on the seat in front of you and drop it in the offering bucket that you'll find in a lobby on your way out this morning. Also, grab one of our guest boxes. You'll see them in the lobbies. Grab a guest box. That's for you. We hope that you enjoy that. We're so glad that you've taken the time to visit with us today. Also, when it comes to giving... uh, We have offering buckets in the lobby if you want to give old school. For those of you who are online, click the give button right now. You can set up text to give. Text the amount of your gift to the phone number 84321, 84321. You can also give by going to calvarytriad.com forward slash give. calvarytriad.com forward slash give. That will give us an opportunity to connect with you through giving. I have to tell you, First this morning, first service this morning was like being let out of prison. Second, uh, second this morning, stepping into this place and worshiping with you. I don't have a whole lot of voice left right now because I sang every part at full volume this morning. I was the tenor, I was the alto, the bass, I was even the soprano. I killed this morning. And I don't know if I'm going <laughs> to, I don't know how much I've got left, but to get in this room together and to lift up your voice and just, oh, Sing once again. It was great to hear you sing this morning. Let's quiet our hearts and prepare ourselves for God's word. Father, we believe in these moments you will speak to us as you spoke to John to write these words so long ago. I pray, Heavenly Father, that this message and its gospel, its good news, would find a place in our hearts, not only of acceptance, that we would not only nod to what the scripture says, but that we would embrace it and live it. Walk it out, oh God. You have so much to do in us and through us in this broken world. Help us, I pray, Lord, from this step, from this place, to move forward according to your will. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak to you this morning along the subject line of of love and of hate of love and of hate. I could not fathom on March the 14th, that Saturday, 
that for 15 Sundays we would not gather. Nobody saw it coming. And I don't think we could fathom on that Saturday back in March that a murder in May in Minneapolis would so reveal our national brokenness, and I say it with grief, some did see it coming. Many of us did not. And so as once again I step into a room with people experience this together, it's a different world than it was in March. And with just three Sundays remaining on my tenure as your lead pastor here at Calvary, we've got a lot of catching up to do. And so my plan today is to preach from Genesis to Revelation. I've, you know, I, I've got a, a lot I need to say, and so, and, and I'm serious in that. We are going to start in Genesis, and we'll end up near Revelation, so hang with it. I also have a clock that I cannot violate because we'll go offline and go black, so uh, we're, we're going to make it, but we're going to be looking at the scripture together today in Genesis all the way through the writings of John. Moses gave us the Genesis account of creation, and he introduced the devastating reality and the debilitating effect of sin just 56 verses into the human story. 56 verses. And then just 32 verses after that, brother murders brother. It took one generation, it took one birth cycle, and that's all, one birth cycle, for humanity to be shattered by the ultimate sin, the sin of murder. Moses writes with such great efficiency from being created in the image of God, 88 verses later, we are the apex of evil. Do you see it? 88 verses. That's all it took. As Moses gave us Genesis and a glimpse of the beginning, John is the last writer in the New Testament. He gives us 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation. And we look to 1st John and the third chapter as John reaches all the way back to Revel or all the way back to Genesis where we'll start today time won't allow us to do the entirety of the third chapter we really do need to hear it all but we're going to start at verse 11 with a powerful paragraph follow with me verse 11 1 John 3 for this is the message you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and so we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love in word or let us not love in word or talk but in deed 
and in truth. At the outset, Genesis makes it very clear that God has no lesser children. There is no hierarchy of races. There is none superior and there is none inferior within a genome. In Genesis and in 1 John, and in a world that is now fragmented by racism and murder and war and injustice and lies, all we find at the starting point in the scripture is this. Brothers. Brothers created in the image of God. And our chosen paragraph here in 1 John chapter 3 begins with brothers and the ideal that we should all strive for. For this is the message, John said, this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another. This is the message from the first stroke on time's clock. Love one another. How can love be anything less than evidence of the image of God when the scriptures tells us that love is the very essence of God? It's who he is. Love should be as natural as sunshine. But sin has marred the image of God in us. It's distorted the truth. It's convinced us of false superiorities. It's led to the devaluing of the other, pointing to our differences and demeaning one another. But they're sinners, we cry. They're all sinners. And we list their abominations, even with scripture references to boot. Listen, God does not devalue the sinner, neither should we. In Christ, he died for them. No matter who they are, how they live, what they think, where their politics would lead them. The worst among us, the best among us, all of us are subject to the mercy of God who gave himself for us. God loves us. All of us. And when we recognize that, we have a baseline to begin to love one another. Sin is ultimately homicidal. It makes murderers out of men. Murderers. It enlists a million passive accomplices who take comfort in the fact that my hands have never really shed blood. But you don't have to shed blood to be a murderer. Hate does the deed. Most often using its chief surrogate, indifference. Elie Wiesel, who suffered and survived somehow Nazi hatred in two concentration camps, became later in his life a voice for the oppressed. He published his now famous memoirs in English under the title Night. Published in 1960, if you've never read it, you should. Night. The book records the horrors of institutionalized racism and hatred in Nazi Germany. It was originally titled, And the World Was Silent. Think of that for a moment. And the world was silent. Weissel wrote, the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. 
indifference. Is indifference really a sin? You may say, I'm not sure I know that scripture that really clearly identifies indifference as a sin. And something struck me as I was in preparation this week. I remembered a paragraph from Ruth Haley Barton in a book that I read for a class a couple of years ago. And I yellow lined it because it was so good. And I finally found it and I've thrown it into the notes because I know I'll butcher it if I try and do it myself. Here's what Ruth Haley Barton wrote about indifference. She said, is indifference really a sin? Some might ask. Well, only if you take seriously the weight of God's instruction to be kind and tender-hearted towards one another, to love one another fervently, to listen and bear with one another, to speak the truth in love, to confess our sins one to another so that we might be healed, to forgive as we've been forgiven, to welcome the stranger, to share our bread with the hungry, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with the Lord our God. Only if you believe that in Christ Jesus there is no longer Greek or Jew, slave nor free, male or female, for all of us are one in Christ, then indifference is a sin. I believe everything I just read. And it's a sin I know all too well. See, we preachers, we're in the business of confessing other people's sins. It's kind of what we do, don't we? We get up here on Sunday and and we rail away and we make sure that we identify somebody's sins and we preach the gospel to it and we hope that they'll respond and, and they'll deal with that thing and you with me? Preacher, how many of you have ever felt that preachers are really good at confessing other people's sins? Sometimes we don't confess our own. I've been pretty good at confessing other people's sin, but the events of the last few weeks have led me to a place where I can't neglect my own. My sin has been a desensitized indifference. That's mine. You say, how can these things, how can these things be among us? How can it be easily hidden and tolerated? Indifferent. I have to tell you also, friends, I have struggled over these last few weeks as one engaged in social media at what I've read, what I've seen. When I read the rudeness, the arrogance, the unkindness, the utter contempt that flows out of professing Christians on social media, when I consider our utter blindness to the message through social media that we are sending to the world who desperately needs Jesus, it breaks my heart. Politics, we have been co-opted by politics and we are missing the opportunity God has given us to touch the world because we're not leading with love. We're not leading with love. And you go to either extreme on the left or the right and you will find hatred. The only difference is on the right, we sanctify that hatred. We set it apart. We've got biblical reason and we've got biblical cause and we need to stop it. When a nine minute public murder of a black man does not cause us genuine grief, I can't breathe. We shouldn't either. Everybody's so fired up right now. Man, we are fired up. We're mad. We're angry. Fists are flying and flags are, uh, flags are, are waving and we look around our nation and we wonder what in the world is going on and how in the world are we going to get out of this mess? We're all fired up, but rather than being fired up, really, we need to mourn. 
Like Nehemiah, who, when he was told of the charred gates of Jerusalem, when, when he said, it's burnt down, it's gone, the walls are rubble, they've destroyed it all. What did he do? Nehemiah didn't think what his next step would be, and he, he didn't respond on Facebook. He sat down, and the Bible says he mourned. He mourned for days. And so should we sit down in utter grief and mourning that the issues of brotherhood and race are never fully dealt with among us. From the blood stain of slavery to the bombed out rubble of the 16th Street Church in Birmingham to the mutilated body of Emmett Till to the desperate cry of Rodney King as Los Angeles burned. Can't we all just get along? And where do we go from here? How do we find our way forward? We have no Dr. Martin Luther King. We have no Mandela to unite us. So it's up to us. It's up to the church now to be the church, to truly be the church. And we cannot move until we have mourned, and not just for George Floyd. We need to mourn our lost mandate of love. There's not a living, breathing soul out there who does not deserve the love of Jesus shown through you. We are the filter through which they know the love of Christ, and the filters are clogged with all kinds of stuff. I found out about clogged filters. I'm not terribly mechanical, but I had some trouble with my HVAC at home, and it's because I hadn't changed the filters enough. How many of you know that the filters get disgusting after just a few months? And if you don't change the filters, the machinery's gonna start breaking down. Well, brothers and sisters, it's time for us to change the filter. It's time for us to clean out the gunk. It's time for us now to begin to reflect the love of Jesus as never before, without caveats, without conditions. Just be the love of Christ in the world. For the only thing that is going to change this world is his love. And the only thing that is going to fix what is broken for us is love. We want to change the world. Let's begin with mourning that we as the human race have come so very far only to find out that we've been walking in a big circle. And it seems what happens is we keep going by the same trees going, I'm pretty sure I passed that oak tree before. I think I passed that in 1960. I think I passed that in 1964 and 1965. Oh wait, I think I passed that in the 80s. I think I passed that in the mid 90s. And we just keep walking around in a circle and we're passing the same trees and we are going absolutely nowhere and we will until, until we lead with love. And I wish I could stand here today and offer a surefire uh, bipartisan approved bill of health and healing and restoration, but there is no political solution to a spiritual abomination. We have failed an entry-level course in humanity. It's called brotherhood. We need to own up to it. And we need to rise up to a higher level of living. Would to God that I could exclude myself this morning from the indictment. But I can only speak to what I have found in searching my own heart. And I am found lacking in that real love that is necessary to transform the world. I've got to clean out the, my own filter here. John would have made a great lawyer because John believed in evidence. And he pleads and calls us to pay attention to the evidence. Three things I want us to look at quickly this morning. What evidence, according to John, what evidence points to our authenticity? 
our integrity as Christians in this world? What is the evidence that points to our authenticity? Well, we read it in verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death unto life because we love the brothers. Jesus himself, by the way, sealed it all up and placed it in evidence for all eternity when he said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. And we've had a hard go of it through the years trying to convince people that while we don't look very loving and we don't act very loving and we don't talk very loving, that really, really deep, deep, deep down inside, we are loving because we're Christians. We love everybody. And the world says, who wants to listen to those people anymore? It's not working for us. Coming into relationship with Christ calls every other relationship in our lives into review. Being right with God is impossible when we choose to remain wrong for each other. A lawyer enamored with Jesus and with his teaching asked this simple question, what must I do to be saved? And remember Jesus' answer? He tests him with the law. He said, what does the law say to you? And the lawyer responded by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, your strength and your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you'll live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself said to Jesus and who is my neighbor and so what story did Jesus tell him the good Samaritan a clash of cultures and love and mercy shown by the one who wasn't religious Shall we lead with love or will we lead with issues? We have to ask ourselves that question. Friends, we are failing when we lead with issues. And we will always fail when we lead with issues. We lead with love. And it's only when we lead with love that our voices will be heard on issues. Secondly, what evidence points to our lostness? If this evidence of love points to our authenticity, then what evidence do we find that really points to our lostness? Well, it's there in 14b and 15. Whoever does not love abides in death. That's stark, isn't it? Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Note how John chooses to write in the starkest, punchy in the, you know, just punchy in the nose kind of terms here. If you don't love, he said, if you don't love, you abide in death. If you hate your brother, John says, you are a murderer and you are void of eternal life. All I can say, friends, is there's a surplus, a present surplus of hatred in our land today. Hatred that kills, hatred that loots and riots, hatred that envies, hatred that spews venom, hatred that takes us back to two brothers in a garden with blood crying out from the ground for what? Justice. Our severe polarization in these United States has now torn the fabric of our land 
And the world looks on in utter amazement as we are staggering about. We have lost our international swagger. And what, I ask you, what if this time around, what if this time we would rather than show the face of American pride, what if we were to show the face of humility and brokenness and love? If we cannot find the thread of genuine love, all evidence points to our ultimate loss. This culture will continue to fold in upon itself unless we rise up one by one to love first and love with the love of Jesus. The least, the last, the lonely, the lost, the losers. Our mandate for them. What evidence proves then God's love to the world? What evidence proves God loves the world? By this we know love. Verse 16, he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. From the horrible picture of hatred, John turns us to the beauty of love. Christ demonstrates his love ultimately by laying down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the others. We need to be Jesus to the world. And if you're gonna be Jesus to the world, you've gotta do what Jesus did and say what Jesus said and walk as Jesus walked, which means you got to lay down your life for each other. Now, the church's chance these days for martyrdom is pretty slim, long odds at the very best, but that doesn't release us from the responsibility to do all that we can for one another. Jesus, of course, is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, but he's the one we're to emulate. Now, the shepherd the shepherd will give his life for the sheep, but it's a rare, it's a rare thing indeed for the shepherd to die caring for the sheep. I mean, from time to time, I'm sure that it happened in Jesus' day, but it was a pretty rare thing to do, which is the beauty of what Jesus did, laying down his life, ultimately for, for the sheep. But the shepherd did far more than lay down his life up until that point. What did the shepherd do? The shepherd protected, and he fed, and he watered, and he nurtured. The shepherd nursed the sick, and when seeking the wanderer and speaks quietly until the sheep know his voice. The sheep need to know his voice. Hey, what voice will the world hear when we speak? Will it be familiar at all or is it a strange voice? A foreign voice. Have we drawn close enough have we shared our hearts enough? Have we given ourselves enough? Have we walked in close quarters with people who are struggling and suffering where they even recognize our voice? Or is our voice completely foreign to whole segments, demographic segments of our culture? Is our voice foreign in the world today? 
I know when the scripture says, my sheep hear my voice, it's talking about Jesus. But Jesus speaks to the world through you and through me. Can they hear his voice? Is it familiar at all? What makes it familiar? Love. Genuine love. Max Dupree, great business leader, wonderful writer, wrote, I think, one of the best little books you can read on leadership. It's called Leadership Jazz. Max Dupree's daughter suffered the abandonment of her husband just before their first child was born. He walked out. So little baby Zoe came into the world absent a father and premature. She weighed only one pound, seven ounces. She had a 5% chance of survival. In the hospital, there was a bold and seasoned neonatal nurse who had seen it all too often before. And nurses take charge. I've discovered that. I have one in my family. She takes charge. There are certain areas where she just takes over. It's just what nurses do. And so this neonatal nurse, seeing this tiny, tiny baby and no father, identified the grandfather, went to Max Dupree, who is, by the way, who at this point in time manages a massive company in the United States. I mean, this guy, this guy is a, he's a wheeler dealer. She takes him by the hand and she gives him a talking to. She said, Max, here are your instructions. For the next several months, not weeks, months, you are Zoe's surrogate father. You will come to the hospital every day to visit Zoe. And when you come, you're going to rub her body, her legs, her arms with the tip of your finger. And while you're caressing her, you are going to tell her over and over and over again how much you love her. Because she has to be able to connect your voice with your touch. And that's my whole message. We want to fix this broken world. We have to connect our voice with his touch. Our voice and our touch. What we say and what we do must have perfect integrity. They, and I'm speaking of those who need Jesus, have to be able to connect the voice and the touch. They have to know us before they will trust us. And the face of the church is painted by some pretty hostile folk these days. May my path not walk with them. They have to know us before they'll trust us. Don't expect to have a shepherd's voice if you're not willing to offer a shepherd's care. When we see our brother in need, if we close up our hearts, John says, how does the love of God abide in us? We close up our hearts. How do we close up our hearts? Well, we become insensitive. We become desensitized. We walk around as though, well, we're making progress. Everything's okay. We're doing all right. And we forget that there's people who see the world through a different lens than we do and have grew up in a completely different experience than we did. We expect everyone to be like us and think like us. And it's the death of us. 
on this platform every Sunday with me for the last seven years is a dear black friend. We've talked about a lot of stuff and I walked with him through some really, really deep and, and dark waters, hard times. I talked to him a couple of weeks ago and I said, you know, you and I have talked about a whole bunch of things, but we've never talked about issues of race. Never, never once. Why is that? He said, well, pastor, you and I know it's awkward among us, isn't it? Talked with a man who said, I initiated the conversation and I asked, what's it like for you as a father, black father growing up in America with children of age who are driving now? What's it like for you? What, what are your fears? I've never asked you that. Although I've served in ministry with you for 12 years. I've never once asked you your perspective on any of these things. I've just decided that I'm right about everything and your perspective can't add a whole lot to the conversation. Another dear, dear friend, dear brother, all it took for me was to look at our text string that went back for months. And it said over and over again, hey friend, can you help me with? And he'd always respond, I'd be happy to. Can you help me with this? I'd be happy to. Could you help me with this? Sure, I'd be happy to. Can you serve here? Oh, I'd be happy to. I had a long list of, of, of texts with this brother and in every one of them, I was asking him to help me. But it never really occurred to me that his sons live in a world that they see through different eyes. I can't fix it all. But I think I can learn from that perspective. Love means we cross the street and we tear down the fence. Love means we talk to people about more difficult things and at least we have a level of understanding. Love means we open the door so that we can speak and they can hear us knowing our hearts. We don't kick the can down the road. When we see our brother in need and close our hearts, how does God's love abide in us? You see, love gives and love goes. It doesn't take, it doesn't stay. It gives and it goes. You can give without loving this, surely we know. Sometimes we give out of obligation. Sometimes we, we give out of guilt. Sometimes we give just because we're emotionally moved. You can be emotionally moved and it's not love, it's just you're easily moved you can give and not love but you cannot love and not give when you love love gives it, it is the very nature of love to bind itself to another this is what love is love serves Love listens. Love weeps. Love rejoices. Love just 1 Corinthians 13's itself all over you. Love defined for us in the scripture is the most powerful thing on the planet. Why not weaponize love? We've weaponized everything else and politicized everything else. It's time for us to love. In the anger and in the outrage, we need to start over again. 
That's what John is saying. This is the message you heard from the beginning. This is the message you heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today. The quietness of this moment, let your spirit lead us to that place where if there be anything in us that would indict us today for a lack of love, may we come before the bench and plead the blood of Jesus and beg you, O Lord, for a new perspective and the chance again to walk in love and change the world. We do not want to be an impediment to the gospel. We want to be its champion. And so, Lord, may we understand its essence and live accordingly. Bring us to a place of genuine repentance. David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. And that's our prayer this morning. Bring healing to our land and love to the forefront of the church in her mission, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Normally at this time, I'd invite people to come and pray. You can still do that where you are and socially distanced. And I'd encourage you to do that. And those who are watching at home, those of you who are in the stream, you're probably in a private place right now where you can just take a moment and just shut down and ask God the Spirit in that moment to do a work within you that draws you to a place where love becomes paramount. All you want to do, all you want to say. If we'll take a few moments and let God meet us where we kneel, where we bow, where we are quiet. If we'll just take a few moments, we can take the world by storm. For the power of love as it flows through vessels who are surrendered to him will change the world. May God richly bless you as you walk with him in love.